Good morning. It's Tuesday, March 23rd, 2021. And we have here our newest episode of Eli's East Lansing Insider. Kelly Ellsworth Etchison is an East Lansing resident who is working actively in multiple roles on issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion, both locally and statewide. She is Chief Marketing Officer and Chief Diversity Officer for the Lansing-based credit union LAFCU. Kelly is currently serving on East Lansing's specially appointed committee, the Study Committee on an Independent Police Oversight Commission, which is working toward advising City Council on how to organize an independent police oversight commission for our city. Kelly also serves as a volunteer secretary of the Dr. Martin Luther King Commission of Mid-Michigan. Last year, she was recognized with the Lansing Regional Chamber of Commerce's Community Service Award, and Governor Gretchen Whitmer appointed her to the state's Black Leadership Advisory Council. For this edition of the East Lansing Insider Podcast, Kelly spoke with our reporters, Heather Brothers and Alice Drager, who have been covering the study committee for Eli's readers. Here now, we turn to the interview with Heather asking the first question. So what are your thoughts on the progress the study committee has made thus far? I know in the meeting last night, there was a discussion of asking council for four extra meetings to push until June 7th now as the deadline, but you guys have been meeting for six months, I think at this point. So yeah, yeah. thoughts on the progress. Well, the progress is going quite well, actually. Um, we have a pretty robust document that we've drafted. And so now we're working through the, that mammoth of a document. And so we're actually like <laughs> reading it line by line, precept upon precept, uh, which is going to really require those additional meetings to make sure we can get through um, all of that, that document and making sure that all the nuances have been considered and, and discussed. And so, you know, when the six month was, you know, put out there, I wasn't part of that council discussion when that was put out there, um, but not really knowing how long this would actually take. That was a really good, you know, guesstimate, I would say. Uh, but the council also understood when they were making that recommendation uh, way back then, they gave, they, they also wrote in, you know, in that, that we could have uh, up to additional six months if we needed it. And so they understood the undertaking that this would be, it's, you know, it's not like writing an essay in college, right? It's probably more like writing a thesis and, uh, and, and we wanna get it right. Um, and we know that this document will be a living document as well, that the permanent seated commission, um, they've got to live with this document, but they'll also, you know, there will be some, I'm sure, back and forth over time where that document will evolve as well. So pretty happy with the, the progress so far. Good. So I wanted to also ask about um, the upcoming March 29th public forum that, well, I mean, is less than a week away now. Mm -hmm. um, and to talk about what you expect uh, as the main outcomes from that and what you, you all hope to hear from the public and how you would incorporate their feedback into this kind of living document. Yeah, so 
Great question. Thanks for asking. We really want the community engaged in this process, uh, which is why we're having that community forum. We want them to give us their honest feedback of what they want out of this. And so we really want to have them kind of center around um, like four pillars of thought, you know, so transparency, uh, building trust, uh, accountability, community. What does that look like for them when they start to think about um, how they would like this oversight commission uh, to work on their behalf, right? Because this is about this independent body, right, between them and the police and how we can work to um, to that end of those four pillars. And so we're going to have, um, we're hoping to have a great conversation. Um, we're hoping that enough people can come to this uh, so, so that we can have some breakout rooms uh, during this and we can ask those, you know, questions around those pillars of thought to get their feedback so that we can start to weave that in to the document, which again is another reason why we would need that, you know, that extended time frame, right? Because we want to make sure we have time to, to get that woven in. So the plan is for breakout sessions. So people who are going to attend should understand they're not going to be expected to get up before the whole group and take up a specific amount of time and then sit down, but rather it's going to be really interactive for people. Right, and it will be in, in a, you know, in a virtual space still. Um, so it'll be through Zoom, and uh, you know, at the beginning, we will have everyone will be there. We'll go through, uh, you know, some highlights and some housekeeping rules of how this conversation will work. Break them out into moderated uh, breakout rooms and begin to, you know, ask those questions in that smaller setting. You know, kind of if we were at the Hannah Community Center, right? If there was no COVID and we were in person, we would have people gather at their table, which would probably seat around eight to 10 people max, right? And have those uh, very interactive conversations and then be able to come back to the whole and, um, and have some final uh, wrap up remarks. And so we want to, even in this very virtual space, still try to emulate uh, some of that if we can in this. And so we think that we can. And so we're just now wanting to, to get the people to, to come and we wanna hear, we really wanna hear from them. Good. Well, hopefully I, I heard last night at the meeting that there's been a lot of uh, pushing out information from the city to get the, the word out there. March 29th, 6 p.m. Yeah, and we're, and we're asking people, so even, you know, you guys, you know, we want everyone to, if, you, if they have a social media page, if they have a Facebook page, if they can share the city's uh, Facebook event to their page and begin to click that invite button and go through their contacts and invite folks to kind of keep that, you know, going. And then people can share it to, you know, from their, you know, their friend list shares it to theirs. And you know how social media works. So we're, we're really hoping that we get people engaged in this process. So my next question kind of, uh, I guess, builds off of this. So what do you think are some of the steps that the city, uh, needs to take in terms of police reform. So you mentioned the, the large draft document that the study committee is working through, um, but what are some of the specific points that you feel are essential 
to, to change the culture of police in East Lansing. So this is a great first step, right? Com uh, creating this body is, is a great first step. And then, you know, obviously uh, taking a holistic look at policies and practices um, that can lead to uh, some uh, police misconduct and uh, making sure that, you know, training, you know, reflects how to uh, de-escalate situations versus escalating uh, them. And so we're, we're hoping that, you know, there's a holistic look um, at how policing is done, but not even just in East Lansing, you know, there, there really needs to be some federal legislation uh, that, that is required to create bodies like this uh, across the nation. So it's not independent police departments that are, you know, picking this up and then you've got a neighboring city uh, who those same citizens can come in contact with police in a neighboring city just by driving through an <laughs> uh, 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 intersection and now you're in a whole another city and, and so things are just applied so differently. And so there's, this is just a really small step in uh, a very small ripple in a bigger sea uh, that should really take place. Uh, this is a great first step. And so I do commend city council um, and, uh, and the police for uh, uh, wanting to be part of this. You know, they, they're part of this. You know, they, they are at our meetings, you know, every, every uh, time we meet. And uh, so we can ask questions, they can share reports that we uh, ask for. And, um, and so, you know, very engaging. We're gonna introduce them at, we're gonna introduce the staff that's been participating and the commission to the community, uh, but the staff and the police will not be part of those breakout sessions so that people can uh, be very, um, um, you know, free, to, to express themselves, right? And, and their concerns and, and their ideas and, and what they, this should look like. And so we don't want that to be hindered uh, by that mere presence, but we think it's also important to let the community know that the police are invested in this change as well. So can you share a little bit more specifically how you think that the Oversight Commission itself can help change some of um, policy in East Lansing or some of this broader culture? Because no, I know, I, it, go ahead, finish. I'm sorry. I know there's a discussion, you know, people are very concerned about complaints against the police and also like the disciplinary process. But I know that you've been a vocal person in the meetings talking about like the overhaul of police culture in general, right? And, and also some of the trainings. You mentioned trainings. I don't know if you have some specific ideas that the oversight, oversight well, the study committee has uh, is recommending for the oversight commission some specific changes they want made. Yeah. Um, so I think how this body can help, because as I said before, we're this independent body between the public and the police, and and now making sure that um, we're going to be looking at those complaints. And so when someone prior to this filed a complaint, you know, it's taken by an officer, you probably, I'm just guessing, would be leaving 
you know, the the police department or whatever wondering, you know, is that complaint ever even going to make it somewhere or, or what have you. And so uh, just having this presence of this uh, independent body being neutral can, you know, review those complaints, you know, and as I said, making sure that policies and practices are looked at. So if we start to see now, because uh, now we can start to really form, I know the police have their own data, but now this oversight commission can then start to look at their own benchmarking, right, and start to, to look at data from their perspective. And so if you start to see then complaints coming in and they all have the same kind of a theme, um, and then, you know, we can make sure that these policies that are being recommended to be changed, we can hold them accountable. We're going to be re we're going to be transparent as a body, and I say we. Um, the the permanent study, um, that's not me. I'm not part of the permanent uh, oversight commission, but that body, you know, will be able to hold people accountable. We're going to be having. Um, dialogue with the public. So when these complaints come forward, we're going to be transparent. And I think that's going to be, you know, very different um, than what has seen. I, yes, I do agree um, to what you said, Heather, about, you know, I've been vocal about um, this, the way it's done today, right? Policing. Uh, I, um, I, I still, you know, have my thoughts about police policing police. And so, um, but, you know, one step at a time um, is, is where we are. Um, but, you know, when you have a, when you have something that happens, and then when you have a, a, another outside police body investigating that, that's police investigating their, themselves. And so I do have, have uh, my own thoughts around that. And I've made that vocal um, in these um, open meetings. And, um, but again, like I said, you know, one step at a time. And so. So we might mention that the police department is undertaking a process of accreditation. And part of that is to adopt an early early warning system, mm -hmm. which is um, meant to track individual officers' behaviors so that if there's a trend developing with an individual officer, there can be an intervention that happens before something gets worse, which is a pretty exciting opportunity um, in terms of allowing the police department to provide early interventions to prevent future problems. Right, right. I mean, we, you know, uh, Right when I came on the call, um, you know, we were talking about uh, police being called on, you know, to these very minor things that doesn't really even require police, you know, calling. And when we think back to what happened uh, um, uh, last year in May, you know, with the murder of George Floyd, you know, the police were called for a nonviolent um, alleged act of this uh, alleged counterfeit $20 bill. Uh, this was a non-violent act that the police were called to, and somehow that escalated into uh, uh, the tragic end um, of the death of Mr. George Floyd. And so there's got to be something that has to um, happen 
uh, at the state and national level. So there's this is this as I say is a start at the east, at the city of East Lansing, but there's a bigger conversation to be had um, at the state and national level. Some of those things are even when we look at our training hours for police in the state of Michigan, um, having 594 training hours, and then you can carry a badge and a gun. My sister-in-law eons ago when she was probably, I don't know, 25, 30 years ago, when she was getting her cosmetology license, she had to have 1300 hours. And now I think it's 1500 hours. And so someone has to have uh, way more hours to cut your hair. Carry scissors. <laughs> carry scissors than someone carrying a gun. That's a problem. That's a real problem um, for me. And, and I think for most citizens that that we can say that's okay, that 594 hours is sufficient enough for you to make life and death decisions um, is, is problematic. And so that's why I said there's a bigger conversation that also has to be had. Kelly mentioned a conversation we were having just before we started recording the call, which is I was at the Council of Neighborhood Presidents meeting last night, and one neighborhood president relayed the concern of solicitors coming to the door, and there was a discussion of the fact that in the city of East Lansing, there's a permitting process required, and the police officer that was sitting in on the call said, well, if you're worried about a solicitor, just call us, just have the police come. And so that's the kind of thing you're referring to where you get this very minor issue where somebody's uncomfortable because those solicitors at the door, the police are called, and that's where we see in places around the country escalation that becomes deadly. And so that's the concern. Yeah. And East Lansing also has a law that was passed last year that outlaws calling the police out of a motivation basically of racism. So, you know, if you call the police because there's a black person soliciting at your door, does that violate that law? I think that's a question. <laughs> and the, the whole knee-jerk response of call the police for everything is something that is that cultural change that has to happen outside the police department, right? That has to happen among people who are calling the police for things that are things that could be worked out otherwise. And the East Lansing is working on this neighborhood relations system where they're trying to have a sort of in-between of who you call. Right. Because there, there really is this real um, anxiousness and paralyzing fear that happens with you know, black people. I mean, last summer, even for myself, you know, there was like this anxiousness as I walked through my neighborhood. And, um, you know, I live in East Lansing, my neighborhood. In fact, I'm the second black person to have ever lived on the street I live on in the 30 plus years as the subdivision has been here. Um, one of my neighbors who actually bought a model home, black couple, they've lived here the whole time. And when we moved here, they informed us that we're the only other black family that has ever moved on the street. So, you know, so the neighborhood is mostly white. As I walked through the neighborhood, as we started to see this uptick of people calling the police for just whatever reason, they felt like they, they weaponized the police on black citizens. You know, that wasn't, that didn't go lost on me. So as I walked through my neighborhood, you know, there's, I, I remember this one moment where it actually ended up being someone that I knew. But as I was walking down the street, this car, he, he goes by me and he puts on his brake lights. And I immediately said, here we go to myself. 
and then he backs up and he rolls his window down. And um, and I happen to know him. He lives in, in our subdivision. Um, but it, in that moment, my heart just started beating really fast because I thought, is this someone getting ready to harass me? Or so those where some people might say, oh, that's just a bit much. He's paranoid. Yeah, I am paranoid right now um, because this is the world that we live in. And um, and this is the world that has been perpetuated because uh, it can't, if the police put a stop to that kind of stuff. So luckily the law, you know, this, you know, have been passed. But if the police, not just in East Lansing, but everywhere, if they would have put stop a stop to these types of calls and, and, and responding to these unnecessary calls, there wouldn't be this outcry across our nation, right, for all of this craziness that, that goes on. So there is this real paralyzing fear that Black citizens feel when a police officer gets behind them, whether you're doing anything wrong or not. Um, it's for me, when I when the police get behind me, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm all of a sudden, like paralyzed with fear, wondering why are they behind me? What are they up to? And I've had my own stops with the police in East Lansing. And so, you know, in the, the five years I've lived in East Lansing, you know, I've been stopped three times. And so um, this, that's, that's like a really short period of time considering I've only been stopped four times in my entire driving history and I'm 56 years old. Um, and so that's, that's problematic. <laughs> and for years, we've heard stories like yours, Kelly, and people who are skeptics have written them off as anecdotes. So the study committee managed to extract data that now conclusively shows that ELPD officers are disproportionately stopping, arresting, and using force on Black people. So in terms of the use of force data, we know that white people outnumber Black people as residents in East Lansing by 11 to 1. But in the last four years, more Black people have been subject to use of force than white people by ELPD officers. So the data is there. The data is there. Yeah. So, I mean, you've already shared some wonderful personal experiences. Well, I mean, it's terrible to hear <laughs> that these things have happened to you, right? But very... Um, interesting personal experiences, but I wanted to ask more about you as a person and how you're, you know, you sit at the head of, a, you're on a bunch of different councils and your career in marketing and how you feel that um, your positionality offers insight onto some of these issues and the work, uh, the work that East Lansing is doing to become an anti-racist city and all of the work that they need to still do. Yeah. So, um, Thank you for that. My my body of work through my career, and I do sit on quite a few um, boards and, and councils. Um, uh, recently, was appointed to the governor's Black leadership, um, leadership advisory council. I serve as a commissioner on the Dr. Martin Luther King Commission of Mid Michigan, um, and now on this body, uh, along with other. Um, organizations that I serve on the board. And so as my role as the chief marketing officer and the chief diversity officer at LabQ, uh, you know, really my role is about in how do we improve humanity? Because this is what it really comes down to. How, how do we really treat each other um, a little bit more respectfully, right? And so um, to automatically have this 
because just like I um, described this paralyzing fear that I have, there's something that is triggering this this also paranoia in the police when they pull over a black person that um, it has to go from zero to 60, you know, immediately. There's all of this um, very, uh, there's a lot of unconscious biases that I think is at play here. Um, there's a lot, there's, a, there's this very um, militarized approach to policing, not only in East Lansing, but in our country. And, uh, and so, you know, I think my work, because at, so at this level, you know, I'm looking at the city, right? But on the governor's council that I'm sitting on, I'm looking at the state and I'm looking at laws uh, that we need to enact uh, that can um, help us to that end. And so, you know, and, and it's not her, the council is not just about, you know, um, police reform. You know, it's also about increasing wealth gap, the disparities amongst um, uh, Black uh, uh, people in Michigan, you know, health disparities. We saw that people are dying at high, Black people are dying at higher rates with COVID. Um, it, there's just a lot um, to, to look at. And so, you know, I think that my perspectives that I can bring um, as I approach different things from my personal experience and then the experiences that I have with sitting on uh, these different uh, boards and advisory councils, as well as the work that I'm doing within my workplace, as well as the community, because that diversity work that I'm doing, I also do it um, outward facing, um, which is you know, taking messages out to educate the community. Um, and uh, you know, we're, we're we're different in how we look, but we're not that much different as people. We all want the same thing, right? You know, we we want we want to be able to come home at night. We wanna we wanna be able to just move about our day and and be free to do that. Uh, I we don't we don't really want to have the conversations that we have with our sons and our grandsons about how do you behave when you're stopped by the police officers, but we have to. So the conversations at our dinner table is much different than the conversations you have at your dinner table. You know, we're telling our, you know, our males, particularly our, our, our males, um, that when you get stopped over by the police, you know, turn that car off, put your hands at 10 and 2, don't even reach for your, your uh, license and registration until you are asked to. And sometimes you can even see videos over and over again where people have complied and still have been um, uh, treated very unfairly and abused. And so that's really what the intersection of my work is, is really about, is how we can, um, you know, just improve humanity at the end of the day. Alice, do you want to take the last question I have here since it was yours? <laughs> I, I don't, I didn't bring the list, so you're going to have to ask it oh. for me, Heather. But I just wanted to say, Kelly, that I, I mean, we're, we're doing this on Zoom to extract the video, and you may see that I'm crying. I'm crying because one of my brothers is Black, and so I have had to witness him being stopped for driving while Black so many times. And 
what you're talking about is, you know, my parents are white, and so they didn't train my brother in those ways. And so he didn't have the advantage that your children have of the education of somebody who's been subject to racism relentlessly. Um, and I'm supposed to be, you know, objective as a reporter, but listening to you really makes me um, moved in terms of how long we've been dealing with this. You know, I'm 55 years old. My brother is 52 years old. This has been a long time of dealing with the problem of being stopped for driving while black or walking while black. And it's it's really taking a long time. And as a reporter in East Lansing, I have to say for a very long time, I didn't see this problem. I, even as somebody with my own experience, I simply did not see this problem. And the data is startling to me um, when I look at it. And it's powerful data in terms of the, the presentation of the problem. And, and the, the commission, I think, is taking, the study committee has taken very seriously the idea of understanding the problem as they begin to really try to address what the problem is. The data that Eli has that Chris Root has obtained by aggregating the complaint data shows us very conclusively that almost no white people file complaints about the police. It's almost entirely black people and people of color. And I think that really tells us something about the way ex policing is being experienced in East Lansing disproportionately. Yeah. Um... It is, it is real. And, and you know what, um, don't feel bad that you hadn't seen it before, right? Because we only see what we're exposed to and what and how we're treated, right? As people. And because you, you would not have experienced racism um, uh, as a white person, you're, you wouldn't see it. But now, uh, but you've been able to witness it through your brother's experience, his own, his own experience. And, um, you know, it, it's, it is real. Um, well, I must have known it was there because I've always been worried about my brother when he visits me in East Lansing. And I'm not worried when I go visit him in New York. You know, when I'm visiting him where he is, I don't worry. But when he visits me where I am, I worry about him. So, yeah, yeah. You know, it's really interesting. So um, we have... Um, we have a couple of vehicles. The one that I have been stopped in is a white Cadillac sedan. We have tenant windows and we have bow tires, which are like white walls on the tires. Apparently that car is profiled. Now I can drive my SUV that doesn't have the tenant windows on the, the driver's side, passenger side, but on the back seat it does, but up front. Um, my last experience being pulled over was like the 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 line for me, um, and I remember it like it happened yesterday. And earlier that day, I had participated in a golf tournament, the, uh, the tournament of friendship, or I think is what it's called. But it's at this golf outing. It's the only golf outing that there's this real shotgun start. So you, in golfers, you hear the shotgun start, which has really been just a horn. But this one, you know, police from all the stations are there because it's a, it benefits uh, scholarships for criminal justice and, and all of that MSU. And so you have all the departments there. You have East Lansing, you have Lansing Township, City of Lansing, MSU, uh, Eaton County, Ingham County. You have all these, 
you know, the state police, you know, all these men in uniform are there at the start of this outing. And I probably have participated in this outing maybe three or four times. And, um, and so it's a fundraiser, right? Golf outings are fundraisers, right? So I've always, you know, even with all of this craziness that have gone on for a long time, I always donated to the Fraternal Order of Police. Um, and so, so much so that they just stopped even calling me and asking me that if I wanted to donate, they just sent me like the amount that I had been given right in the past. And, and so and I just write my check and send it off. And so, it, so I wasn't one of these people that were like, you know, down with the police. Um, I, I supported this fundraiser that evening. Uh, at Laugh Q, we are the exclusive, you know, fireworks sponsor for the Lugnuts. So we had an event at the stadium. We had law enforcement in our suite, which we always do, uh, because we have friends that are in law enforcement, judges and uh, lawyers and police officers, uh, sheriffs. And, um, and so we, you know, so we would invite them. For, if I was someone that, you know, was like held to the police, I would like not invite them, right? But we invite them. And so this, this was this whole day that day, you know, start out with the police in the morning, end with, you know, uh, you know, judge in my suite and, you know, sheriffs in, in my suite. And so we get done at the end of the day, the night, uh, it's about 11 o'clock uh, that evening. I'm driving home. My boss, my CEO, who also lives in East Lansing, who at that time I didn't know was directly well, not directly behind me, but but behind me. Um, and so as I pull up um, to the uh, intersection of Saginaw and Abbott, there's an officer headed north at the light on Abbott. And so the light turns green as he's approaching. It's red for him now. Turns green for me. As I go through that intersection, he turns right. And he gets right behind me immediately. So we're right there at the gas station. Um, and so I thought, um, okay, like that was, you know, okay, he's right behind me. So let me just get over in the next lane. So I immediately got over in the next lane and he gets over behind me in the next lane. Because before I got over, I dropped my windows, right? Because I'm like, my windows are tinted. I want him to be able to see me as he drives by me because I'm sure that's what they're concerned with, I guess, is these tenant windows because they profiled and they were looking for a type of person. Um, and so I dropped my windows. So when he was next to me, because I'm in the lane closest to the turn lane, he's by the curb when he turns. And so he's, he's coming up to my passenger window. My windows are now down so he can look in, see I'm a middle-aged black woman you know, let's keep it moving. But before he can get there, he pulls, he pulls back and then gets behind me. And so I get over and then he gets over. So now this all happens so fast. We're like right now in front of like a food law firm. And so, you know, how quickly that is uh, right at that light. So this all happens like boom, boom, boom. And so I'm like looking out my rearview mirror the whole time, like, I have done nothing. I just left the light. What on earth could he be behind me for? And so 
he's still trailing me. I'm still got my eye in the, in the mirror behind me and he pulls me over. And so now he pulls me over. We're now right in front of like Patriarch Park. It's dark right there. It's 11 o'clock at night. I am shaking because there's a police officer pulled me over. And so I'm getting ready to call my husband and tell him to come and meet me because I, I, you know, growing up, you, you're taught to be, when the police are around, you're safe. I feel the most unsafe when the police are around and which is a sad commentary. And so as I go to call my husband, my phone rings before I could call him and it's my boss. And he says to me, um, are, are you okay? I said, no, I'm not. He says, I've just driven by you like two or three times because he was trying to figure out, do I stop? Do, you know, what do I do to help her? And I says, no, I'm not. And he says, um, I says, call Robin, which is my husband. I says, call Robin. And he says, let me just stay on the phone with you. Would you want me to stay on the phone with you? I says, yes. And he hears this interaction takes place. Now my boss is a white man, a middle-aged white man as he calls himself. And he hears this interaction between the cop and I. And the cop is accusing me of, I'm trying to remember the word, it was swerving, but that wasn't the word he used, drifting. He accuses me of drifting. How could he see that I drifted when he when I just go through the light and he immediately turns? How can he even see that I, I drifted, which I know is a lie. And so I says, no, I was not drifting. Um, he went on to say that I was, so there's this back and forth. And I says, you profiled me. I said, you pulled me over because of my car. You profiled me. When he ran my tabs and saw that they belonged to a 65-year-old man, which is my husband, he could have let me go and just kept on moving. I wouldn't have even known that he had ran my plate. I would have assumed it. But no, he decided to double down and pull me over and then began to harass me. So then he asked me, had I been drinking? I says, no, because I don't drink. I says, no. And um, and then he, you know, he pursues with these questions. Next thing I know, there's another cop coming. So I said to my boss, because he's still on the phone, I'm like, oh, my God. Because in the black community, we always say, if there are two cops, if there are two more cars, you're going to jail. So now I'm like freaking out, like I've done nothing, but I'm driving home. And now there's this other cop coming. And um, so he's like, I felt like if you really thought I had been drinking enough to be swerving, as you say, or drifting, wouldn't you have wanted to do a breathalyzer? You just took my word for it that I wasn't drinking. And so that just, that just solidified that this was just a pure harassment. And it angered me so much. That moment angered me so much. And, and the way that he was talking to me, you know, he was very demanding for my license and registration, which I had given it to him. Apparently they have some kind of clip or something on their vest I had never noticed before. And when I gave it to him, he had did something like this because they were like on him. And as he was still demanding very forcefully this information from me, I'm like, I've given it to you. And he, it was there. And then he realizes and he walks back to his patrol vehicle. But that whole, like, he was beginning to escalate this when it needed not to be escalated. I was over the moon pissed. I had, I had gone from angry to very mad or, or scared to very mad. And, um, and my boss, he was, 
he just was like blown away. Now, mind you, my boss, he, he's been around law enforcement. His brother was the under, under sheriff for Ingham County for probably 30 years before he retired. Um, and so it, it was, it, I started to get people encouraging me to have like, have a community conversation. So I was going to do that. I had actually reached out to Elaine Hardy to say, hey, I want to use the, you know, so this happened September of 2019. I want to use, you know, I'm going to rent the Hannah Center. I want to have this community conversation. Well, that next month, I was also planning my sister and her husband's 40th wedding anniversary. And so time just got away from me. And before I knew it, time had just gotten by and so I was like I'm now I felt like I was too far beyond the incident to have this conversation and then you know we get into the spring you know May um and then George Floyd is murdered and and I was mad at myself that I did not file a complaint um I was mad at myself I didn't go through with this community conversation so when this opportunity for me to be able to make a difference as being part of this this uh commission I thought okay this is this is where I can have my voice heard to be part of this. Um, but to be stopped this many times <laughs> in, a, in five years, um, and I had only been stopped four years. The first time was when I was 19, and all of the rest had been within like a two-year time frame. Um, it's, it's telling. It's telling. And so um, this is why... You know, I'm really passionate about my work. I have I have a black colleague who is very high up in. He doesn't work at my credit union, but he works at another credit union. We had a conversation about that, what took place, and he said to me, he said, "If I had said those words to you, I would be dead." That I said to him. If I and he told me if I had said those words to him that you said about you you were racially profiling me, he said I probably would be dead as a black man. And my mother was very scared that I had responded to the police that way, um, you know, told me never to do that again. And so there's all of these fears. My mother's 85 years old and she has these fears as well. And so it's real in our community, whether people believe it or not, as you said, you know, Alice, there's all this data that, you know, support it. And it's you know, when people say there's no racism, you know, I'm tired talking about it. I say I'm tired too. But for 402 years, this country was constructed on racism and it's a construct and it needs to be deconstructed. And um, so this isn't new. What's happening with the East Lansing police, this is how law enforcement actually weaponized against uh, black Americans 402 years ago even after the abolishment of slavery, they continued that um, with, uh, with jailing and all of that. And so um, I, I am passionate about having a better America, a better city, uh, because I think we can, but I think this militarized approach that police have has got to stop, it has to change. I don't even know what your question was. I rambled off and went into a whole I think other. it makes total sense for us to end there. I think that, <laughs> I think you explained the reason for the study committee and all of this work. I, we really appreciate you being with us, Kelly. We know you've got a lot going on. You're such a busy woman. You're in so many leadership positions. And we're so grateful that you've taken the time with us, really. And thank you so much. Thank you. Thank, thank you for having me.
You can find all the Eli East Lansing Insider Podcast recordings at our website, eastlansinginfo.news. That's eastlansinginfo.news. Just look for the podcast link at the top. Thank you.